and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Today we have Marla and a bunch of guys. You like that, Marla? Bunch of guys, you and a bunch of guys. Somehow. I can't reach out. And you're the center of attention. You're in the center of my screen and they're all around you. (laughs) Uh, Then we have also with Marla, Chris and Scott. Good to have you, Scott. Scott's new. Mark, Derek, Paul and Craig. Good to have every. Yeah. Good to have everyone. Week before last, we started with this unblocked mind. Uh, text from Alan Watts had a really good opening conversation. I think we'll finish today. And we're on the bottom of the second page. How should we do this? We want to read a little at a time and talk about it. I think maybe might be best. Then we talked at, at the end of the podcast before last about the um, master who they had the, the water leak and then they had, you know, the one guy ran out and got the sieve and the other took his time and thought about it, went and got a bucket. And the master praised the one who brought the sieve because he acted instinctively, right? That's what we concluded from that. So that's kind of the preface for where we're at. Intuition. Yes. And that, that's kind of the whole thought process here is learning how to how to just act intuitively from more than our intellectual knowledge. That's the whole idea. Um, this is the, where the reading would begin. It says, talk, describing what that, that idea of intuitive, uh, unblocked mind uh, action, wh- where it doesn't hesitate ever, just as a river doesn't hesitate when it flows and just when you clap your hands, the sound comes out without hesitation. And when the moon rises and the water doesn't wait to reflect, it's reflected instantly. The instant That instant reflection, it's a kind of resonance and is what is looked for as a response of the individual to his environment. He does this to the degree that he knows himself to be one with his environment. I wrote out beside that. He does this to the degree of surrender or the degree of letting go. Because for me, it's still just getting out of the way. Paul, I will. Uh, I'm going to put the reading in the chat because I don't think I don't know if you have it, if you got here in time to see it. So it's in the chat. So so we're talking about instant reflection here. As, a, as a, it's a kind of so it's a kind of resonance. And is what is looked for as a response of the individual to his environment. Reflection. It's intuitive knowing, Marla, I think. I think it's when we just know what to do. No, no, I get that. I get that. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's what he's he's moving toward. So it's like sort of being true to yourself? It's in making decisions. And, and well, making decision is what he's talking about is you just do the do the right thing or you do the thing you need to do from a place of just knowing rather than you having to figure out what to do. Chris. Without, without intellectualizing. it, Right. Without intellectualizing, I think, is is what he's talking about. And how do we get to the place to where we can do that? We just, I mean, it happens a lot where you, you have a, I have a thought and you just do whatever you say, hmm, I need to do something and you do it. And it ended up being the right thing to do that. It didn't come from here. I mean, it didn't come from your intellectually thinking this was something that needed to be done. You were marking it off your list of things you had to do for the day. It was just something that needed doing. And it was the next thing to do. And you didn't realize it was an intuitive thing. Uh, that happens, you know, that happens pretty often. Yes, Marla? It's, so it's becoming aware of when you're being intuitive. 
yes. so that you can then become aware in the future of how to use and use your intuition wisely. It's awareness, I guess. How about letting your intuition use you? Well, that's scary. Got <laughs> <laughs> to think it through. Yeah, it makes you vulnerable, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, Mark. So on your um, on your note of surrender, there, um, I, I, I was sent a little quote this morning that said uh, there are two ways to be. Uh, one is at war with reality, and the other is at peace. Uh, and it's a Byron Katie quote, uh, but it seemed to uh, just fall right in line with what what you were talking about and what seems to be the the whole um, just um, uh, letting it happen. The intuition coming out of blink. And I think this is very much like uh, Wu Wei, what we would call effortless effort. I think it's a, in that same vein. Uh, and I was talking to someone about that this morning, and I said, you know, uh, they, they were concerned with how does willpower work into this? Because it looks like if you're just letting go, then what is your will? What does your will do? And I asked him, I said, well, what did you do about your alcohol? Where does your will play into your relieving your alcohol addiction? I said, it works the same way in everything. So you had to step out of the way and surrender, but that doesn't mean you did nothing to, uh, to help overcome your addiction. You just did something different. You know, effortless effort is not no effort. It is still effort. It is just free of self, uh, free of the, uh, uh, free of ego, free of, uh, uh, self-help because we found out self-help is no help at all. It's self-sacrifice is a solution. So for me, that's how I, I get into effort or Wu Wei or effortless effort is. I have to turn my thoughts to someone I can help. And then I get in this place of ease that is where it can happen for me. And I can, I can observe it instead of thinking I've got to push and make it happen. And I think this is taking that a step further. Really? Any comments? Yeah, this reminds me of a discussion I was having in my noon meeting about willingness. Your comment about, the ego, getting rid of the ego and having to do with willingness. Um, willingness is, is the removal of your, your ego to, you know to act, act in the way you know to be true to yourself. I'm, did that make sense? I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> because, because Chris, with, with the will... I mean, you still have a will and you still have to use your will. You just use it for something different now. Mm. You know, it's not that you're free of will. You still have a will. Matter of fact, sometimes this is much more difficult than just doing what I want to do. Because this is really dying to self. Really. So it would be much mm. easier a lot of times just to go, you know, do what I want to do. But I know that's not going to give me the solution I'm looking for. It's not going to give me the peace I'm looking for. It's not going to give me the freedom that I'm looking for. Uh, but if I, you know, it's like, you know, our prayer changing from, you know, God help me to God, who can I help? And if I can stay there, then for whatever reason, that satisfies me. When, when life was all about Buddy, brought no satisfaction at all. It's interesting how. You know, if we're when we're really deep in our alcoholism, we have to make everything. I had to make everything about me. Top priority was how was I going to maintain for the day, and everything else fell behind that. Everything. So I had to become incredible, much more selfish than I think I was normally uh, to to maintain because everything else took a second place to that. So. And I think that's the way with this, Chris, we, we realize that, you know, satisfying ourselves is not the answer. Um, and that has to, that has to be surrendered in some way. And I think that's what opens the door because we fight when we don't see things working out the way we want to. So we have this resistance and we push against everything 
and we push, push, push. And that push is what keeps us, that push is what keeps us from, um, uh, from really being able to even see any of this intuitiveness that we're talking about. Cause when it's all about us, we're not awake spiritually to anything that's going on. Comments. Okay. Uh, then the capacity for response increases and according to the way in which he feels that he is simply at peace with it and not something that is outside of himself with a barrier around him through which messages have to get through and then decisions have to be made and sent out. You could say that a kind of extremely subtle sensory awareness has to be developed between the individual and his environment so that he fills that out. Now, this is a transcript of a Alan Watts podcast. It's getting rid of our resistance that we're talking about, right, Chris? That was a resistance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today, this sort of talk is very unpopular because scientifically minded people, especially academic scientists, those who teach in universities, are exceedingly suspicious of intuitive reactions. They say, oh, well, you can get into all sorts of trouble that way. But the thing that they neglect to realize is that everybody uses it. Even the most meticulously careful and rigorous scientist uses intuitive judgment after a certain point. Why? Because you may accumulate data forever and you may decide that this is on the whole of taking all things into consideration and perceived as having been worked out, that this is the right thing to do. Why do you decide then? Mostly because time's up and somebody's pressing for a decision or else you're bored to death with bringing in data because you never know how much data you need to make a certain decision. Therefore, you may go on collecting data, but In the last analysis, you work on a hunch. And so much is actually, in the end, decided by flipping coins. (laughs) Doesn't that just describe everything? Yeah. Yeah. You got to think it through. You got to analyze the data. (laughs) Which one do you think it is? And then intuitively, you know the answer. Yeah. Speaking, the kind of funny though, but speaking, my, my background is as a scientist. I'm actually, uh, uh, I teach physics and astronomy. And, uh, so you would think that most scientists would have some beef with that, but I don't think they would. I think most scientists would recognize that they have a, an intuition about things, about which way the world works. But at the same time, you, your intuition then has to be substantiated right. before other people can be convinced. But I don't think anybody would really deny that intuition isn't a part of the scientific process. It's just not the whole of the process. And, uh, and I think, I think um, Alan Watts is also talking, I think, about acting out of our own nature, that uh, our own nature if we're in touch with it and knows what to do, if we get out of the way and don't interfere with that process. Yeah, that's the whole point, isn't it, Scott? I want to interfere, man. I want to get my fingers in there. I, I will say this. I actually, I work in academia. Um, that, and that's, I was on the fence about coming today, and then I read this part. I felt like I had to come <laughs> to say something about this because it's so true. Um, I'm working on one project where we spent like months tweaking the data, fitting the model. And then sometimes my collaborators will say, I don't think our variables are good enough. And that was like three months ago. We were done with those variables. And I'm like, no, we're not going back. (laughs) You know, but it's so true. Like Alan Watts uh, or whoever wrote this is, description that in the end you do you are there's a bit of intuitiveness but good luck publishing a paper is what i was going to say saying i feel that <laughs> hurricanes are more likely to cause this effect or something like that but um the other thing is it's actually in the next part but i wrote i made a note about when i first read this i thought there's a bit of intuitiveness at the beginning of the scientific process too. Um, that, you know, the term hypothesis is where, you know, you start with the hypothesis 
And then you're you're kind of going along this process of disproving the hypothesis or seeing if you can. And that that hypothesis is, at least for me, usually intuitive. Um, but uh, even if, oh yeah, I was going to say, so with the model not being perfect, uh, if it if your model comes out to disprove your hypothesis that you know is true intuitively, there's always this sense that the model's not good enough, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or the data is not good enough. Um, but like I said, good luck publishing that. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. And here's mm -hmm. his next uh, statement. Uh, I'm making the point that our scientists are very suspicious of intuitive judgment, but nevertheless, uh, they all use it in the end. And so this suspicion that science has against intuitive judgment has filtered down to the average person in terms of a mistrust of his own intuitions, of the marvelous analytic powers of his own brain. And so we're always doubting whether we're behaving the right way, doing the right thing, and so on and so forth. And we lack a certain kind of self-confidence. And if you lack self-confidence, you'll make mistakes through sheer bundling. Should be bungling, I think. If you do have self-confidence, you may get away with doing entirely the wrong thing. Comments there? Was that part of what you were talking about, Derek? Do you have another comment or did you? Um, no, I did. When I read that, I thought of teachers who definitely when I'm, I fall in this category, saying the wrong thing and their students knowing what they mean. But, yeah. um, uh, but then I also thought that's, I also had this instinct that that's not good. That's not a good thing that if somebody's doing something confidently and they're doing the wrong thing, mm. you see, I had this like thought about that. Um, well, half of convincing someone you're right is believing that you're right, or more than half. Because if you if you don't have confidence yourself in what you're doing, folks automatically question you. So that I used yeah. to shoot pool when I was 15 in pool halls. My uncle would take me. He said, "Listen, you just walk in and act like you're supposed to be there, and no one will ask you anything." I said, "Okay." So I did, and no one ever said a word. No one asked me to leave ever. Went all kinds of places. That I was not supposed to be, but no one said a word. And I was, there was no one else in there my age. Uh, that's a big part of it is, is acting like you're doing what you're supposed to do. That self-confidence. That's also I mean, ego. Yeah. Yeah, it is. He's talking about trusting. And I think there's an element of fear that, that gets in my way with this intuition. Because if, if I'm letting fear crop in, a lot of times I won't trust my judgment because of fear. I'll be afraid I'm making the wrong decision. So fear, fear is an element of this, too, for me. Let me read these last two little statements, and then we can chat. The first thing to understand is this. In Zen practice, you have to regard yourself as a cloud. Clouds never make mistakes. Have you ever seen a cloud make a mistake? Have you ever seen a misshapen cloud or a bad designed wave? No, they always do the right thing. So do we, because we are natural things just like the clouds and waves. Only we have complicated games, which cause us to doubt ourselves. But if we will treat ourselves for a while as a cloud or a wave and realize that you can't make a mistake, whatever you do, because even if you do something that seems to be totally disastrous, it will all come out in the wash somehow or other. Comments? I, don't, I just feel like um, that in the wash part is at least what I'm hearing there is a reference to God or not being in control of the final results of the things that we think we have control over. Um, and I, and I was thinking of the, uh, the part in the big book earlier when I was reading some stuff earlier in this about um, being the director 
and making sure everything is set right, you know. Um, but allowing mistakes to have is, happen is what this is saying. And they're not even mistakes. They wouldn't even have the name mistakes for them because a cloud isn't and it's never wrong or waved. And he and it's he's relating wrong. it to nature too, Derek. In that, I, and I think in the way that you know, summer follows spring, spring follows winter. You know, day follows night, night follows day. And none of that's going to ever get confused. All of that is by some design. So if we're part of nature, our lives are by design too. I think is is part of that that there's some kind of a flow of providence of some type or some way that we don't understand. We, we, we call it God is a lot of us do, you know, because we don't understand it. So anything we don't understand, we're going to, we're going to give some mystical name to it because it's got to fit somewhere. And so all that stuff I don't understand, I can throw over in this box, you know? So I, I think that's probably part of it. Um, well, the big book talks about this, or we're going to add to the flow of life, you know, to the, uh, uh, let's see, where is that at? I know where that is. I've got it wrote. Pack into the stream of life. Part yeah. Of page 86. Yeah. And we can pack into the stream of life. Yes. And then, you know, that kind of goes with Romans eight, where it says that all things, uh, work together for good for those that are called according to, you know, God's purposes. So if you, if you took all those things and took the religious aspects out of all of it, you know, that's saying the same thing that Watts is saying that it, that everything's going to work out if we give it long enough, that there's maybe this flow of life, this ever expanding flow that's happening. You could even talk about it like the big bang, even, you know, that, that everything's expanding and growing and going. And uh, as long as we continue in that direction, it's, it's going to work out. Mark. So, yeah, the notion of, uh, of self-doubt, you know, um, when I was out of the madness and, and, you know, putting stuff in my body, there was, there was a, there was a thought that, Hey, this is probably not a good idea, but, but boom, I go headlong anyway. Right. Uh, and, um, the, the fact is that, 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 that my addiction, my alcoholism, uh, all led me to this point now, right? Uh, I would not be on this spiritual path were it not for this disease, right? I'm, I'm very much grateful for having it, right? Because, because I'm, I'm living such a fulfilled life that I would never have seen before, right? And, and those things that I did in hindsight, uh, you know, might be able to help another alcoholic come in and, and see uh, the same kind of things, identify and go, yes. I need this too. I mean, the question is, could we have gotten to where we feel we are spiritually by things being easier for us than what they were? You know, I'm going to say for me, I needed every, everything that happened, every difficulty got me to where I am now. I never would have even considered any of this. I don't think. If I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known how to surrender. I wouldn't have known how to let go if it were not for alcohol. Alcohol taught me how to surrender. Recovery. Yes. Not you. I'm sorry. You kicked your ass. Alcohol yeah. itself kicked your ass. Recovery taught you how to become aware. I think it was alcohol taught me every one of those lessons, Marla. I had to, you know, could, could it be the second step that says that a power greater than ourselves? We admitted a power. Well, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity. Could it be that that's not God at all? Could it be that that is alcohol? That that alcohol itself, a power greater than me, restored me to sanity because I had to surrender and do what Watts was talking about. <laughs> I had to stop fighting. To really, all I had to do was stop fighting. It's interesting. It didn't say we did. Uh, you know, all these things. It says we stopped fighting everything, even alcohol. It was in the stopping the fighting that we achieved. It was not in anything else for me. It was me stopping the resistance and the steps and all the other things just showed me how to not fight anymore. I don't know. I mean, that's, 
that's not a, a common way to look at that. No, Most people no. attribute the second step to their higher powers and a God of some kind. But maybe every time we have relief is is whatever. All these things are greater than I am. Everything is around. Every, I mean, everything I have issue with that I want to fight is greater than me. Always. I can't control. So my surrender to whatever that is, is the paradox that we learn that, that we surrender to win. That the weaker I get, the stronger I become. All those ways we say the same thing over and over. It's get out of the way and, well, watch it happen. Like we were talking about our breath earlier in meditation before the podcast. That might be the roundabout back it would be the breath in the, in the way we talked about observing the breath. Scott, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast, but it seems a lot of times we'll start talking about something. And when we get on toward the end of the podcast, we'll revisit whatever it was as if we planned it. It happens all the time. Well, you did plan it. Oh, I didn't plan that. <laughs> but it happens all the time. It happens in conversations. It happens with sponsees. It happens in the pod. It happens everywhere. It's amazing when it, when it happens, like, like we orchestrated the whole thing and it just doesn't happen that way. Well, Jung called those synchronicities, right? Yes. That's exactly what we're talking about too, Scott, are the synchronicities. It's another name for it. Other comments, guys? What are the things? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Chris. No, I'm here. Uh, one of the things that occurred to me when he was, when Alan Watts was talking about, uh, in a way how it doesn't matter that things will come out in the wash reminded me of one of the promises that uh, no matter how far down the scale I've gone, I'll know how my experience can benefit others. And uh, that for me is one way in which it all comes out in the wash, but it certainly wasn't fun at the time. Right. Hmm. You mean by you sharing your strength and experience that that in turn, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm having a senior moment. Forgot th- I was going to ask you. One thing that it does is it helps me to reinterpret my own experience, so that I can now see that experience instead of being just in a totally negative light, it can now be helpful to myself and to other people. That therein lies how we all work together. It's like I, I need to hear what you your positivity and your. Your good stuff. I've heard some amazing things that are life changing today. Mm. And, you know, people who said them to me don't realize that 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 life changing things have occurred. That's remarkable that people just say things Mm -hmm. and how, you know, how, how it affects someone down the line. It's one thing for people to say things, it's another for us to actually listen to it. Uh-huh. For for a long time, people would say say things to me, and I just I would take it in, but I wouldn't actually digest. I would, I would hear it, but I wouldn't listen to it. I think that's I think that's a massive difference as to where we probably are now compared to where we were when we were drinking, using just just whatever we were doing. Uh, I think a lot of time when people were talking to me, I would see it as an attack. I could never I could never see the love behind the messages that people were giving me. There was always this you guys are doing this to me rather than you are doing this mm-hmm. for me. But I wasn't mature enough to actually accept the fact of what was going on. I think that's that's where I'm currently, just with what you're talking about, Marla, just have that level of maturity that can actually sit and digest things and look at the pros and cons of it and see if it's people acting out of fear or they acting out of love towards me. You're more spiritually awake now, Craig, so you start seeing those things. That's like, you know, the 11th step praying only for the knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. It's not praying for the will of God. That's praying that you can see you have knowledge of what's already going on, you know, Mm -hmm. that you can see it. Chris, you have something. Nope. Not really. No, (laughs) I was just thinking it did. Your discussion earlier made me think of the, have you ever heard of Maximone? He's uh, the, the uh, Catholics set up altars to all our vices and, you know, alcohol, tobacco, you're, you're supposed to give them tributes, you know, give, leave, leave cigarette butts or bottles of uh, empty bottles at this altar to 
all of our vices. So when you were talking about alcohol being the higher power, it made me think of that. How how um, this is in Guatemala, I know, where, where the cultures meet. You know, the Catholics meet uh, the, the Mayan culture, and so they've come up with Maximilian. Fascinating, actually, I think. So do you? Why do they do that? Do you know what's behind it, Chris? No, actually, I don't. I, because I never paid any attention to it. I thought, well, that's stupid. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll have to research so that a little bit. Yeah, you're talking about it. Just like wow, <laughs> you know, uh, these people do this down in South America. So, yeah, it's amazing. Huh? Anyone else? I have. Um, a, oh, go ahead, Derek. This idea of alcohol being a power greater than ourselves, and then everything really can be, right? Sure. Um, I was thinking about um, what about like trivial stuff, like the squirrels, and uh, you know, and uh, I just was reminded of, um, in I mean, in um, Caddyshack, Bill Murray battling the gophers throughout the whole movie. You yeah. know, yeah. he was certainly powerless over the gophers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but really, like, I'm, I think we say this in the program a lot. I'm powerless over people, places, and things. And that includes, like, actually everything, turns out, you know. Um, Chocolate cake. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's the thing, Derek. We, if we realize that, we, we can choose where to place our will. So if if I don't want to eat ice cream, I don't place my will against eating ice cream when it's in the freezer. I have to apply my will when I'm at the grocery store (laughs) (laughs) and not go down the aisle. I'm powerless over ice cream if it's in my house. I'm going to throw the top away because I'm going to eat the whole (laughs) thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it it's kind of works into that kind of thing too. You know, where where are you going to place your will? Because if you know where you're powerless, I'm powerless once it's home. I better leave it at the grocery store. I can sometimes not walk down the aisle or use program stuff. I'm just not going to buy any today. You know, that kind of thing. You yeah. know, use what we learn with alcohol. Yeah. I've gone as far as to pray for other people. I knew that had problems with that too. I've, I've applied that before, you know, if I really was, you know, serious about it. Practically, I know, I, I know I'm powerless today over um, alcohol for right. 100%. That's a large part of why I'm here. Um, but, you know, I'm also powerless over chocolate cookies for sure. But I don't, um, I always say this, like, I don't, eat all the chocolate cookies in the box and then call and sick to work the next day. Right. Or I'm not, you know, that power. I, mean, I guess there's different levels of power. So I'm trying to say, but, mm-hmm. but I know relating it to other things that are really big, I'm powerless over resentments. That's something we've talked about a lot about. And what you just said, um, this idea of praying for others, people I have resentments for as a way of dealing with that. And then also kind of like something, I think Craig or somebody said earlier, to not reacting. Um, like, I know I'm powerless over anger, or and that's tied to my resentment. So if someone does something to anger me, if I cannot react, then I have a chance against this thing I'm, a, I'm powerless over. But it might be the same as not putting the chocolate cake in my house, too. <laughs> you know, it's it's... Does it matter? That's what, yeah. You know, I just realized that what I'm saying is like kind of is the same thing if you're going to eat the dang cake anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just just a matter of, 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 uh, learning how you work and what you need to do, how you need to apply the tools that we all apply, regardless of what we're talking about in our life. That's part of that practicing our principles and everything, I think. So that's good. Thank you, Derek. Mark. So I was thinking about this, the notion of, of, of the, the, the imperfect clouds. There are no imperfect clouds or no imperfect waves and, um, and, and applying that to, to humans and, and their decision making. And 
um, I was like, well, so so does that mean even my even my drinking, you know, my 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 uh, decision to to pick up a, a handle of vodka and drink the whole thing uh, was that an intuitive thought? Um, and and I don't I don't think so. Now that doesn't mean it wasn't perfect, but but I think that 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 would be fighting against reality. That's me resisting the fact of of whatever is around me, right? So it doesn't mean that. That I'm not perfect as I am, or was even, uh, even though it all sort of worked out in the wash, yeah. Uh, but the notion of the um, uh, uh, intuitive thoughts, right? Uh, only I think take place when you're when you're not resisting, when you're sort of relaxing into it. Uh, uh, that pause uh, when agitated. So that was just what bounced off my head. You know, I I have to be careful. Uh, I can, what do they say? I can shoot all over myself. I should have done this, should have done that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I make sure not should too much because I mm-hmm. will mess everything up. Um, I just look at my past as being the way it had to be, and it could not have been any different. If it could have, it would have been. Everyone always makes the decisions they feel are best for them, no matter how horrible we feel those decisions are or how great they are. Paul. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the food uh, example, buddy, (laughs) uh, because uh, I've been working on that one uh, for the last few months. Um, I went to the doctor in early January and I got some bad cholesterol numbers. And she suggested, instead of putting me on medication right away, she said, well, why don't you take a look at your diet and uh, maybe think about losing some weight? So I took it to heart and I completely overhauled my diet. I cut out all the junk food. I had to surrender because I love fast food, red meat, junk food. I I gave all that up and I switched uh, to veggies and fruits. And I've lost a little over 40 pounds since January. Wow. So obviously, and, I, and I've also started to work out to uh, get more exercise. And boy, it's, it, and it, it's really, it was a bit of a struggle at first, kind of like giving up alcohol. Uh, even though I, I did surrender, it still took a little while to change my habits. Uh, but now I don't even think about it. I go to the grocery store and I don't even, I just bypass all the crap. I don't even think about it. So I'm just applying the principles I use for my alcohol recovery into this. And I don't think of it as a diet. I think it was as a complete change in lifestyle. <clears throat> and right. I, you know, I never bought into the fad diets or any of that. And, uh, you know, the, the weight is just, I've been, I mean, I've done a lot of work. Um, but you know, the weights come off and I just take it one day at a time, like my recovery. So I'm, I'm using those principles I learned through the Dow and through my uh, alcohol recovery uh, into my uh, lifestyle. And I, and I hope to lose another 30, 40 pounds before it's all said and done. So Thank you, I go back in July for, to get my cholesterol rechecked and I'm, I'm certain it's going to be much better. And I hope to, surprise the shit out of my doctor <laughs> good good paul it's good to hear helps to have a goal <laughs> yeah yeah that's good and you bought you bought a trampoline as well didn't you yeah that that <laughs> had to go back to amazon i, I i'm too old for that <laughs> i i almost threw my back out on that stupid trampoline but um I, i'm just doing a lot of walking and i'm just doing a lot of you know just a lot of basic calisthenic type workouts as long as i work up a good sweat uh, I figure that's good enough at my age anyway. So, Thanks, Paul. Anyone else? I have a quote. This is a book that we're reading on a book study. It's uh, Returning to Silence, Zen Practice in Daily Life, uh, Category. And my reading this week actually applied to what we're talking about. And he, he established a uh, sangha in... Minneapolis years ago. He said, people ask me why I chose Minneapolis as a place to teach. I don't know why, but it happened. It is mysterious, but it is very clear. 
there is some reason why that choice was made. And this is a Zen Buddhist talking about this, a master talking about there's some reason why that choice was made. We don't know why, because the original nature of our life is functioning very quickly at super speed. This is the original nature of our life. Very naturally, what we have to do is just practice day by day, just function. That is all we have to do. And then something comes up. It's not by chance. It is very clear, but our intellectual sense cannot reach it. All we have to do is let the flower of our life, let the flower of our life force bloom constantly. This is the function of the molecules of water. This is what is called mysticism in Buddhism. We don't know what it is, but this mysticism accepts all things as being clear. He thought things worked out like they should too. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't hear a Buddhist say that, you know, oh no, no, it's, you know, I'm like, hmm, the teachers I'm listening to say that. That's interesting. It's interesting. It is very interesting that things happen as they should. If, you know, if it's wise words to live by, that everything's happening as it should be. And we, we need to be like water. And just flow with it. Go with the flow. Mm -hmm. Not fight it. You know, Marla, my, my problem is not in what's happening. My problem is in fighting what's happening. You know, right. most of my problem is the fight. Water it's not about what's actually happening. Be like water. Yeah. So the thing is, with the water analogy, I think of whitewater canoeing. Um, and here we are. We're all going down this river with all these boulders in the way. Um, but are they in the way, Chris? Really? Well, you know, that's sort of what I was going to was getting to. They create eddies. They create, but you have to be, um, you have to know how to read the water in order to to do it. Hey, know, hey, hey, Chris, how about this too? They would not be white water rafting there if there were no boulders in the water. Uh, that's very true too. That's true. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's good stuff. Huh. Well, have you heard recently, people have been saying, I've heard this a couple of times, it's, uh, I don't know if it was in 4D or not, uh, uh, boulders are not the resistance, they are the path. You know, the uh, obstructions are not, uh, not in the way of the path, they are the path. Uh, they're forming the path, right? They're forming the path, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. life is not linear. Huh. You know, it's like, yeah, why you and the other one? Well, you know, that's yeah. the Taoist thought that every step is on the path. Yes. Yeah. You know, same thing. Yeah. Derek's getting, Derek, you okay down there? <laughs> yeah, no, I just was thinking about, um, it, uh, no, never mind. Your head was exploding. I could tell you. Were <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was thinking about being on a path that you think you don't want to be on or something like that. Right. You know, that's, but that's clearly, uh, that's a bad thing. <laughs> what is it bad that you don't accept your path or bad that you're on the path? That you don't accept the path. Yeah. Huh. Therein lies your suffering. But, but yeah. you bring up a good point. What if the path you're on isn't the right path and you know it, you know it because it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's um, irritating you. Or is your intuition telling you it's not, it's not the right thing. Yeah. 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 But don't we need that irritation? So we'll make a change. I never change things because things are great. I change things because I'm irritated. That's what I just, right. what I was saying, like the, you're gonna. You're coming up against this path in your life that's obviously irritating you. I'm just guessing. It's, yeah. it's right for you. It doesn't seem to be right intuitively, and um. But that's going to cause the change, though, Marla. That's the boulder. That's what, yeah, that's, that's the boulder. Yeah. I mean, it's like that's your boulder. That's going to help. That's the impetus for making the change and going on, going maybe down another path. 
it doesn't mean it's bad or a mistake. It, it's yeah. For me, all those things were necessary, right? Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't have hit that boulder if you hadn't been on that path, right? Yeah, I always like what Buddy says. I mean, I, you know, looking back on it, on my addiction, um, I, I suffered for a long time, but it got me to where I am today. And that's why I'm grateful. I think a lot of us feel grateful about that, you know, about being yeah. more woken up and really, we're like warriors fighting against a, a dreadful disease. We're all doing it. Paula, thank you for reminding me of gratitude. You know, no matter how, bad I think something is if I can find gratitude in some way either gratitude for the situation or gratitude for how that situation is helping me or some way I can find gratitude and sometimes I can't see it I have to like ask my sponsor say help me see gratitude in this I can't see gratitude in this and if I can find a little glimmer it's like that cracking that door of willingness, Chris, that you're talking about willingness earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I can just go from there and I can find a place of peace that I didn't have before. If I can find some gratitude in some way. And for, and for me, and for me, buddy, that's the most satisfying gratitude because it's easy to be grateful for all the great things that are going on in your life, but it's really satisfying to find something to be grateful for in your struggles. Yeah. I think you can even go so far as to say that you can be grateful for your suffering. That, you um, can say that. that well, I'm, sure. I'm reminded um, one of the types of meditation I do is a standing meditation and your body fatigues and it gets to hurt to do this type of meditation. And the way that, that you deal with the pain is not to fight it, but to relax into it. And what one thing that helps me is to be grateful for the pain giving me the the resistance that I need to grow stronger and to and to continue improving and um, the other thought that occurred to me is that you know we we talk about um, how things unfold as they're supposed to and I guess intrinsically I believe that too but I have a hard time with that sometimes especially in these COVID times when I attend meetings and notice that are that there are people that are no longer there um, that we've lost a lot of people in these COVID times. I'm talking about people in our program who have slipped by the wayside. And, um, and so part of me, part of me can't help but wonder if there's maybe a harder side to that too. Um, and, and that for me brings out some sort of feeling of compassion for them. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, sir. Glad you're here today, sir. You, you've been more beneficial than some of our, <clears throat> Craig, some of our regulars. You know. <laughs> I'm sorry, Craig. I got to pick on you, man. He has not been picked on yet today, so it's time. Oh, you know, I got it. There he comes. I've been too busy typing in the chat. <laughs> I didn't even notice you were doing that, Craig. I need to look at that. Thank you. Well, by the way, the correct quote that I heard, it was on in the 4D group, was obstacles do not block the path. They are the path. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Obstacles are the path. That's mm-hmm. almost a Star Wars sounding quote. That's like that's like somebody saying you're not stuck in traffic, you are the traffic. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. Be the traffic. Be the, Be the traffic, Craig. Yeah, you are the jam. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's appropriate for Craig. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> he is the mess. Talking about being talking about the boulders in your path. I'd be the one throwing the boulders in my path and looking for somebody else to blame. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad that I didn't know you then. I would not have liked you very well. And now that you're like you are, I like you a lot. So <laughs> a big improvement. Glad you're sober. <laughs> I would have liked you even less, right? I would have liked you less. You're not the kind of person I would have hung out with. <laughs> Anything else, guys? This has been a good conversation. I think it has, yeah. What should I title this? Uh, Always as it should be, maybe? Uh, or intuition. Intuition, yeah. Something intuition, all is as it should be. I'll, 
always have to do that after the meeting. Come up. You come up with something good all the time. You are the traffic jam. You are the boulder. Yeah. You are the boulder. You are the boulder. <laughs> yeah, you are the boulder. I like that okay. one. All right. I'll do it. Thank you. That's that's my usefulness for the week. Thank that you. That was good too. Yeah. Um any any announcements? We didn't do announcements at first. We still have our nightly meeting that several people here attend. Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. The link will be in the chat. We also have all of the uh, Soto Zen links. Have, there's a meditation teaching that's uh, not in the chat in the uh, episode notes. Have all those links. A couple of helpful Google calendars that I share uh, that you might want to take a look at. Where do we find it? All of that's in the episode notes, Marla. In the notes, pull up the episode. Never back and listen. Uh, just open the open it up one time in iTunes, and you'll see all of that in the notes. I promise. I will. Okay. Anything well, else, just, guys? Just, just, the, just the Facebook page as well. Oh, yes. Just jump on that. And if, when you join the Facebook page, there's there's two ways that you can join. Okay, buddy will let you in, and just let you go on with it. Or I'll let you in, and I'll send you a personal greeting. I'll send you a personal welcome. It's well worth it. You have a gift for gifts. Oh Thank yeah, you. don't don't, Chris. <laughs> you're going to inflate. I know you feel like Mark too. See, look at him. Look at him. He, it's he, all you guys. Stay within the square. Yeah. He's having to back up so we can still see him. You know. <laughs> now, he does a good job. That link actually is in the episode notes as well. Cool. Good stuff, guys. All right. Well, if I don't talk to you, you guys have a great week, and we will see you next week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use, and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.